Well, I would like to say good morning to each of you this morning. It is a joy to welcome you here at Stone Seal Community Church. I trust that uh, if you haven't already received it, um, you've gotten your little worldview packet or a uh, little uh, card sleeve with cards inside. And in this little packet, you're going to find four, uh, five cards. And we're working through uh, a series called the Biblical, a Biblical Worldview Church. And each of those cards represents a Sunday. And so this week, we're on the third card, which is rebellion. And, and so um, the story of the world can be told in four words. And those four words are listed on each of these cards. So it's creation, where we came from, how we got here. And we've talked a little bit about that. Um, last week, I talked a little bit about where we've come from, that uh, you, you and I are made in the image of God, right? So you reflect him. And if we're going to really know who we are, we have to know who God is. And we've got to let him um, be mirrored through our life. We can either tarnish the image of God or we can, we can polish it and shine brighter. And so our, our hope is that we'll shine brighter. So we're made in the image of God. And we are capable of so much good because of that. Okay, and so remember last week, you're astronomical, you're, you're galactical, you're orbital, you're a star, really. I mean, I, and I mean that metaphorically. I would just reiterate that over and over again with Megan and some of the kids. And, and, and so just to try to lift them up and let them see you're made in the image of God and you have no idea how valuable you are. And so, and I say that to you, I just reiterate that to you. You are made in the image of God. You're, you're capable of so much good. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an empowering thing to know that God has blessed you with abilities to think and to speak and express and to create, to work, to raise a family, to do so much good in the world. So, I, so I'm just amazed at how beautiful that can be. This week, we go one more step. And this week... We've got to be honest with ourselves that even though we're made in the image of God, we have so much to offer the world. Something has happened. And not only are we capable of so much good, and not only uh, has God made us, but also there's someone that's entered into our story of the world. And of course, um, we're going to recognize him when we see him in our text this morning. Um, it's John, it's uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. And uh, there's a, a serpent that's referenced in our text. And um, we know more about him as we read throughout the Bible. But we understand there's someone at work in the garden that's going to work against the purposes of God for our lives. So... Uh, then the next week, we'll talk about redemption, not just this week about what went wrong in the world, what's wrong with us, but we'll talk next week about redemption, what God is doing to fix it, and what he's doing, uh, how he's calling you to fix it. And then the final uh, Sunday of the series will be um, restoration, how does it all resolve. And then after that, pray for me, because what we'll be doing is we'll be exploding out of the five Sunday series certain topics that we need to bring a biblical worldview to, okay? Whether that's gender, whether that's our sexuality, whether it's how we use the resources God has given us, whether it's a political thing, okay? We have to have a biblical worldview because after all, I don't think the world, we're running the world very good, do you? 
Do you get the feeling, you look on the internet, you look at social media, you read the paper, watch the news, you think things are going pretty good in the world? Ah, I don't think so. We got a lot of issues. But you and I are called to bend it back toward God's design. And we're going to do that. And we'll talk about that in some practical ways in the upcoming month of November, December. So I'm having the privilege of sharing this message with uh, different audiences in our community one of those audiences this week was a group of high schoolers uptown. And so I was sharing this message and they're tracking with me. I gave everybody a, a packet. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but, um, and there's a tie-in, so stay with me. But do you guys have um, an issue with like gym shorts with no pockets? And when you go out the door, you need something for your wallet something for your keys, something for your cell phone, and whatever, something for your cards that you're taking with you. You have this problem, Wes? I mean, I think we all do. It's like, Lord, how can I resolve this? Because this is so fresh, stinking frustrating to me. The fanny pack, okay? Enter the fanny pack. I'm old school. I'm going way back with the fanny pack, all right? So I'm up, I'm uptown, and, and actually, no kidding, I was in Fort Wayne um, a couple weeks ago. I walk in, I have my gym shorts on, my t-shirt. I walk into a store and, and I wasn't in there just a, maybe a minute or two and a guy walks up to me. I've never seen him before. He walks up to me and he says, hey, he says, when you walked in, I looked you over head to toe. You know, I have my fanny pack on, okay? I looked you over head to toe. I saw the beard. I saw the fanny pack. He said, dude, you totally pulled it off. You pulled it off. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And so I've, ever since then, I've been wearing my fanny pack proudly because I'm pulling it off, whatever that means. But so anyway, I'm uptown. I'm giving my, my little talk on a biblical worldview. It's amazing how many high schoolers have never heard the larger story, the meta narrative, the big story of the world. And they're like, wow, you know, we never heard this stuff. And so uh, I'm giving my story, though, and you have, you have a few in every group, right? And so a hand goes up. I'm right in the middle of this. Creation, okay, rebellion, redemption, rester. I'm right in the middle of this thing. I'm laying it out there. Hand goes up. Yes, what question you got? I'm thinking, he's really with me. <clears throat> What's in your fanny pack? Lord, okay. All right, sir, listen, you stay with me. At the end of my presentation, I'll show and tell what's in my fanny pack, okay? Sure enough, I show and tell at the end of the talk. I open it up. I show him my sunglasses. I show him my keys and other things I keep in here. And one of the things I have in here are little lens cleansing wipes. Anybody else use these? Okay, I hate smudgy stuff. Don't you hate a smudgy screen? I hate smudgy screens and smudges on my glasses. Drive me, drives me nuts. And so that's one of the things I showed them. And they, were, they thought that was pretty cool. And at the end of it, I had another guy come up. He's, and I thought, well, now they're going to really ask me the hard questions. He comes up at the end of this presentation on this thing, okay? He comes up and says, hey, he said, um, you know those little lens wipes you have in your fanny pack? I said, yeah. He said, can I have one? <laughs> That's how my week, a little bit of my week was going. Listen, what I'm essentially doing in this series, I'm offering a lens cleansing wipe, okay? You, many of you, okay, we, I think we've got the right lens cut, 
a biblical worldview. I think it's there, but I think maybe there's some smudges on the lens. In other cases, maybe we are completely flying under the influence and living under the influence of a secular worldview. And I would basically just loop and group. And there's so many different worldview characterizations. I'm looping and grouping everything that's anti-biblical or everything outside of the Bible underneath that broad heading. For those of you who study this uh, topic, you know, in a little more deep way, uh, more deeply, you're going to understand there's a lot of different worldviews out there. I'm not ignoring all those different worldviews. I'm just looping them underneath that bigger banner of secular worldview. A biblical worldview answers the deep questions of life. And, and I want us to be so familiar with a biblical worldview that we know instinctively when something falls outside of it. And see, I know everybody's got an opinion on life. Everybody's got a worldview on life. You're going to see it in cartoons. You're going to see it from political standpoints and agendas and platforms. You're going to see it in movies. You're going to hear it in songs. You're inundated. A secular worldview doesn't just sit on a shelf somewhere. It gets expressed in all these different ways. And so we're championing at Stones Hill a biblical worldview. And, and today, we have to, we have to clean, clean the smudge up a little. We've got to clean the smudge off of our biblical lens a little when it comes to what went wrong in the world and what's wrong with me. You see, I don't want you to hear me say that you're trash, you're nothing, crawl out of here on your belly and just hope nobody asks you anything. That's not my approach to life. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible is that you're valuable. You, you have inestimable worth. But something's happened. And we're alienated from God as a default setting when we are born into this world. And so when we see that, um, and, and we have to go to Genesis 3 when we have this discussion, because... In Genesis 3, we have like the linchpin to the rest of the Bible. What happens in Genesis 3, the rest of the Bible explains it and amplifies it. We wouldn't have Genesis 4 through Revelation 22 if it wasn't for Genesis 3. We have to understand and wipe the smudge off of Genesis 3. Well, we know from uh, Genesis 2... The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, right? And so this reminds us, where were they? They were in the Garden of Eden, and it's a place of beauty. It's a place of complete, um, complete wholeness. It's unmarred by sin. Um, there's no crippling pollutions. Um, there's no heartbreaking effects. It's totally free from that. And Adam and Eve have and are living in a paradise. Everything was in harmony. Everything. God, Adam, Eve, they sang the same harmonious song. And I don't know how long they sang that song, but they sang it. And then mankind decides to pull out of the song and sing a different tune. And so now we only hear faint echoes of what the song used to be. And the question is, what happened? Why did we pull out of the song? Why do we go independent from God? Well, ever since that decision, 
A flood tide of evil was released over our planet. A flood tide of evil. And um, due to the decision that mankind made, this was released. And, and why does Adam's decision impact us today? That's a legitimate question as we think about worldview. And let me give you just a real simple illustration. In the U.S. Congress, right, we have two divided houses. We have a Senate and we have a House of Representatives. Stay with me. I'm going to explain how this works theologically. Okay. The House of Representatives, what do they, who do they represent? They represent you. And so when your government representative votes on a bill, then it's as if everyone from our district vote, votes for that bill, either for or against it. And depending on what the bill is, it will affect every animal, if it's related to animal life. Uh, it'll affect every person, every river, every tree, every business, depending on what it is, that bill potentially impacts all of that. Well, when it comes, hear me now, when it comes to God's system of government, God appointed one representative for the entire human race. His name was Adam. Okay? And when that vote, that, when that representative voted against God in the Garden of Eden, God treated it as a vote that we all voted, okay? Put in the same situation, you would have done the same thing. He's what theologians call our federal head. Paul believed it. Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, we won't go there, but Paul assigns responsibility to our federal head. It's in Adam we have sinned. It's in Adam and Eve and through them. And so, Adam wasn't just a representative, though, for the human race. He was also the ruler of creation. And so when Adam sinned, it was like he jumped into a hole with the rest of creation tied around his waist. And when he jumps in, everything swoops in with him. And um, as a result of this, we have the cosmic effects of the fall, it's called, of sin, of rebellion. It was released on the planet, and it's not just something released on the planet, but it's something that spiritually impacts us because the entire human race got spiritually in, infected through, through our first parents. And so sin is like a virus poisoning our hearts and setting us against the creator that made us. And the Bible gives, like I said, it assigns responsibility to Adam. And so Adam's vote many centuries ago still counts around the world. And you and I, as a result, when we are born, we are born hardwired for selfishness. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter um, what culture you're from, what race you are, what gender you are, what class you may represent in, in a, a, a class-filled society. It doesn't matter. We're now east of Eden. Paradise has been lost. And we born in, we're born into a world where rebellion against God has already taken place. And we are swept up in that. And the drift of it moves us along. 
And it's interesting to me, if you go to slide 25 for me, slide 25, slide number 25, it says, verse 24, after he drove the man out. And that's actually an act of mercy because otherwise he would live in a fallen state forever. So he drives him out of the garden and he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. That's um, angels and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So there's an angel there. Lest we go back in and eat of the tree of life and live forever in our fallen rebellious state. And what we understand from the very end of Genesis chapter 3 is that however and whoever takes us back into the garden to the tree of life is going to have to undergo the sword. Something is going to have to die as that sword goes back and forth. Of course, uh, the Garden of Eden was destroyed in the flood. So that's why it's not around anymore. But before the flood, those cherubim were there. And they're waving the sword, lest anybody come through. And so because of our disobedience, we have this instinct within us. Some would call it a memory trace. We're homeless. We're exile. It's homeless, homelessness writ large in, a, in the human heart. There's something inside. We feel cut off from something. We're on the outside of something that we want to, in, to be on the inside of and we feel it and we know it's there and we're homesick for it and yet we can't get back to it. And somehow, and maybe we've never been told this and maybe we've been told and we've, we've forgotten it, but we long to be loved, we long to be accepted, we long to be known, we long to communicate freely, we long to achieve our highest potential and we long to have relationships that work right. All these things we long for and we, we know something is wrong because we feel it and we can't achieve it and because of our sin, we hide from God. You know, it's interesting, you go to slide number 40 for me, this longing for home, this longing for Eden is so powerful that the, the Jewish people actually structured their tabernacle and their temple in a way to represent a little mini replica of Eden. And so did you know that in the very holy of holies where the Ark of Covenant was and the, the manifest presence of God dwelt to, to the far left of your rectangle there, and you can see a lot of symbolism in the way this stuff was laid out. Well, on the, the big curtain that divided the rest of the temple area and tabernacle area, and then the, it was the temple later that got built in Jerusalem. But as on the curtain of this, of this tabernacle was an embroidered two cherubim and images of Eden. Did you know that? They sure were. You can read about it in the Old Testament. And on this embroidered curtain, three to four inches thick, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. It kept everybody out knowing there they are in symbolic form on the curtain in the tabernacle. The picture of the sword and the cherubim. Do you know what happened when Jesus died? It's amazing. We read about it in the gospels. When he said it is finished, he uh, dropped his head. Do you know what happened to that curtain? 
it tore. Three, four inches thick, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. It tore from top to bottom. Just so you know, there's no shenanigans, okay? It's a God thing. Somebody may be tearing up from the bottom, maybe. Top down, don't think so. Top to the bottom. And that thing just lays open, just like that. And everybody's like, well, what, what happened? And the priest and everybody's just amazed. What's going on? You know what's going on? You see, the gospel tells us that somebody, if we're going to get back to the garden, somebody's going to die to do it. Whoever leads us back is going to go under the sword. And when he, our, our, the one who was sent by God, when he climbed that tree, okay, it was, it was Adam trying to obey God about the tree in the garden. Adam had a beautiful garden, a sunshiny day, right? Everything, it was an unfallen world. And he was trying to obey God about the tree, knowing that if he obeyed God, he would have life. And he fails. And we have a second Adam who is in another garden many years after, centuries after. It's a dark garden. He's having this conversation about a tree. And his word is that if he will obey God about the tree, he won't just live, he will die. He'll be crushed. And you know what he did? He did it. He obeyed. Adam in a perfect setting, disobeyed. The second Adam in an imperfect setting, obeyed perfectly. And you know what that means? You're not in exile anymore. Come on in. Come on. You don't have to be separated anymore from the presence and purposes of God. And biblical worldview says, the gospel says, you've been included in this instinct, this, this, um, this um, uh, memory trace from your long native past, the, uh, the, the primordial uh, moments of mankind, this, this uh, desire to connect with our creator, to love and walk with our creator and fellowship with our creator, this impulse to know him and, and, to, and for marriage to be right and for our, our sense of purpose to be right, our sense of meaning to be right, all of these things begin to return and, and, and this inner infection of rebellion and resistance toward God, this, this inner virus that eats away and that makes us turn in on ourselves and creates selfishness within us where we just want to consume life rather than enjoy it and live it for the glory of our creator, this, this inner selfishness begins to be healed by the precious blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but I need it. And I'm so glad. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing, church. The amazing thing is that when you see it and you see a Savior who climbed a tree and he climbed that tree to be crushed to, so that his blood would avail for you. When you see it, the Bible says you're guaranteed to make it home. You're, you're not in exile anymore. You're guaranteed a place around the table and the toxins of your heart begin to be healed and cleansed and purified. And so now you live life with a, a sense of purpose and meaning, reflecting the God who made you. Church, when you see that and it impacts you that way personally, the Bible says you've come home and you're where you need to be. And I want to invite you to do that. You know, I don't know why. I've got like all kinds of notes 
but I'm sensing maybe I'm supposed to like shorten this thing because some of you need to make this decision to acknowledge I, I have been a rebel and I've been a rebel in my own way and maybe I dress up and come to church, but there's something in my heart I won't yield and I want to. And I, I acknowledge, yeah, I know I'm made for good and I know there's, there's good in there because I'm made in the image of God, but there's some stuff. There's a tree in my life and me and God go round and round about this thing. And Satan is so conniving. He's so sneaky. You got thousands of trees in the garden and he makes you focus on just one. Just one. And when we read, if we go to slide 14 for me, I'm, I'm completely off track now, okay? Slide 14, all right? And when we read stuff like this, when it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of, this is after this happened, the disobedience has happened. Adam and Eve had chosen to pull out a relationship with God, right? Be disobeyed. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God. See what sin does? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Church, listen to me. Listen to me. God's first words to the first sinner. It's beautiful. His first words on the last glorious day of Eden. As the sun was going down, it was the last day of perfection in the world, whatever now. Until the king of kings comes back to restore this thing. The, the first words... This, this touches me. The first words to the sinner. It wasn't, what were you thinking, you doofus? It wasn't that. You know what it was? Where are you? Where'd you go? Don't you see the love of God in that? Don't you see the mercy of God in that? The grace of God in that? That he even comes to ask the question. And, and he's walking. So there's, there's no haste to smite the offender. I'm going to get to those guys. I've got to wring their neck. He's just walking. And it's the daytime. It's not night. So as not to frighten them even more. Because now they're frightened. They feel something because they're hiding. And he doesn't just come in the daytime. He comes in the cool part of the day. It's at the end of the day. When the sun is setting. Eden's last day of glory is wrapping up. And God says, okay, I got to take a walk. I got to take a walk. He went all day before he took that walk. God's first words to the first sinner, where are you? And that echoing question echoes out to you this morning. Where are you?
The question was meant to lead to confession. No more hiding. God could have left them for many a long, sleepless night. But he shows up in grace on the final day, glorious day of a perfect Eden. And he he elicits response. I know you've messed up. And yeah, there's going to be a fallout. And there's going to be consequences. And you can read those. I don't think I'm going to get there today. You can read about those consequences in verses previous. But what I want you to see is that question echoes down through time. And you have a decision to make today. When we acknowledge our fallenness, amazingly enough, God's grace is poured out. And healing can take place. But we have to see it. You see the secular worldview says it's all about environment. Oh yeah? Eden was perfect. Adam still fell. You sure it's about just environment? Oh, well, no, no, no. The secular worldview says it's about education. We just need better education. We just need better minds that can process. Oh yeah? Adam was perfect. No problem up here. It was fine. Perfect. Perfect recall. He named all the animals. In fact, the the fall was so devastating to relationships. He even names Eve. See how broken that got? That's what he did with animals. After the fall, he starts naming his wife. And you know, he was there the whole time when the serpent was engaging with Eve. Because she took and gave him the fruit. See, when we're looking, when we're hiding from God, when we're avoiding God, okay, we don't lead like we should as men, we don't love like we should as women, we get broken. We consume, we'll consume the desire, the desire will be for your, for your husband, he says um, to Eve. Uh, Adam, you're going to have to wrestle the food out of the ground. Because all that rope tied around your waist, you pulled everything in with you, Adam. You put it all in. The gospel says that what Jesus did, he tied that rope around his waist. (laughs) He ascends. He pulls all of you with him. Just as Adam was our federal head, the gospel says, praise God. Jesus is our head. He's got that rope tied around his way. He didn't jump in the hole like Adam. He goes up. He pulls all of you with him. And you know what? How do we go? How, 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 do, how, how does the gospel work? When we see this truth, we say yes to it. And we're in. We're no longer exiles. We're in. He brings us home. It's a beautiful thing. You know, slide number 43. We got any honest souls here this morning? Slide 43, if you would, for me. Look at that 1976 picture of that dude. Anybody here remember the 1970s? Yeah, some of you do. Yep, yep. You know, I asked last week, or I I made a comment last week that um, this, we wanted a uh, a tool uh, that people from age 7 to 77 could understand. Well, I had some, I had some people, 
I'll just say it that way, people shared with me that, hey, what about those who are over 77? Listen, you're included. This is for you too. All 87, 97, we got 107. This is for you. Okay, this, you can understand this. If you have a problem, let me know. We'll senior citizen proof this thing, okay? And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you too. I'm, I'm getting there as well, okay? People send me letters now. They get a nice big letter. I had a, a, a gal that gave me yesterday in a wedding, a, a, a gal I had love notes. The husband and wife did love notes. And when the wife did her love note, it was like in like 36 font point size for me so that was good okay I got I got it I, I was we did a good job read read the notes okay to be older right praise God I remember the 1970s this guy Randy Stonehill sang a song in 1976 and he portrayed rebellion as a marionette which is what you see on your right which is a jointed puppet that's controlled from above by strings or wires attached to the limbs. And the song's about how this puppet, hoping to be free, cuts his strings. And the, su- the song that Randy sang was called Puppet Strings. And we all know what happens when we cut the strings. We know that um, it doesn't result in freedom. Rather, when you cut the strings... You know, you lose kind of the purpose for, and eventually, eventually, okay, eventually, boom, right? You're on the floor, just like that. Well, I can't move. I think Paul wrote that in him we live and move and have our being right that's what we've done we you know what i hope i can get up i never thought about that i don't know where our cameras are but yes i'm still with every you know i gotta figure this out let me do it this way oh yes that worked that's what we've done we thought we were going to be god We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to sing our song. We cut the strings, and eventually we cut the main string, right? Bam, we go down. That's what Randy Stonehill was giving us a picture of. We lie just a pile on the floor, just like the marionette who thinks he's God, who thinks he's got life purpose figured out. I'm going to go it alone. I don't need someone prompting and guiding. I don't need the love of God and the image of God in me. I'm going to be accountable to no one. I'm going to be dependent on no one. I'm going to be superior to everyone. And what happened years ago, we reached up and cut our strings. I can get along just fine without God. Thank you very much. Randy saying, we are all foolish puppets who are desiring to be kings. Now lie bended, fully crippled after cutting all our strings. But in the verse three of puppet strings, Stonehill sings. But God said, I'll forgive you. I will face you man to man. 
and win your love again. Oh, he says, how could there possibly be a greater gift of love than dying for a friend? I remember the 70s. That long hair, girl's hair was even longer. Bell-bottom jeans, earth shoes. Anybody remember earth shoes? Yeah. Speakman's value. They know they're with me. They were teaching probably. And uh, saw all the students. Earth shoes, bell bottom jeans, long hair on the girls, long hair on the guys, long hair on the girls. Everybody smoking their cigs at the bus stop. Still right here in my head. Turtlenecks, not up to here. That wouldn't work. The 70s. Bicentennial truck in 76. Right? Red, white, and blue Chevrolet. Thing went about 95 mile an hour by my house on a dirt road. You probably shouldn't have gone but about 15 on. That guy was proud of that truck. 1976. Maybe one of the best things that would come out of 1976 was a guy who had a worldview that says we've reached up and cut our strings. And the only way we can ever get it back. The only way that can be restored, not that we're just puppets on a stage and that, we, that, that, that we're manipulated by God. No, no, God has set us up. He set this world up to, to run in a certain way. He set our bodies up to work in a certain way. And that when we obey God, we're free to improvise our parts. Of course we are. We're free to enjoy the stage. We're free to enjoy the, the, this play that he's called us to, to be in and to direct and to be a part of. But when we cut those strings, we collapse on the stage and there's no more life. There's no more purpose. It's, it's meaningless. And yet what we see, even though there's been rebellion, there has been someone who loves us and he asks the question, where are you? And God says, I need somebody who will be willing to go to the other tree. The first tree got them kicked out of the garden. God says, I need somebody who will hang on another tree to bring them back to the garden. And Jesus said, I'll go. If one, if one man, Adam, jumped into the hole, friends, with all of humanity tied to his waist, then that second Adam, like I've said, can skyrocket you to homeward. With all of humanity tied to his waist. I won't eat from the forbidden tree, Jesus says. But I'll hang on it if I have to. To defeat Satan, to, to divulge, to reveal and uncover his deception. In fact, if you look on your cards, on the back of card number one, you're going to see the story of the world told in four trees. The story of the world in four trees. And because Jesus obeyed God and was sinless, God raised him from, from the dead to new life. He gave back to him um, his life and all of mankind, their right to rule on this planet. And every person who believes 
in him has this new life surging through our veins. And like I said, the inner infection of rebellion begins this healing process. You are, you are vaccinated, as it were, against this, this uh, infection of sin and um, of selfishness and you become part of something bigger than you it's called the body of christ and now the body of christ is how god rules in the darkness in this day and time that you are called to make a difference and to help partner with him to redeem the world and to fix it and that's what we'll talk about next week so how does jesus christ deal with the tree i'll come back to it he's struggling in the garden. Adam and Eve in a bright sunny garden disobeyed. Jesus in a very dark fearful garden he obeyed God about the tree. He was crushed for you. For me. God's first words to the first sinner where are you? This morning, I don't think the question has changed. Where are you? Let that hang. He's walking. It's daytime. Sunset's coming. Don't go to bed tonight. Don't go to sleep tonight without setting yourself up to be a part of that great plan of restoration where he invites you back in and says, come home. The curtain's been torn. The way's been open. Come home. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you've done here today and what you're doing in this series because we feel like that we're called to be faithful, to go against the trends and worldviews of the world. I know the world wants to say that we're good. The world wants to say that uh, we just need education and, and better atmospheres and context. But utopia will never be achieved because our hearts are depraved. And God, we have to own that. Every one of us in this room has this infection. And it's not just an infection. It's a sneer where we mock your word. Oh, maybe not out loud, but we mock it. We disobey it. We do it with pride. We do it with presumption. Everybody in this room has it. We have that sneer. Hath God said. And Lord, we want to be healed from it. We don't want to cut our strings anymore. We want you to be in control of our life. We want to listen to you on this. And we, as we wipe the smudge off the lens of this, Father, I pray you would show up. And um, you would clarify for us this morning that we are responsible. We're responsible for, for 
the state of our hearts because your solution in Jesus has been provided and we either avail ourselves of that or we resist that. We either, we either in, enjoy the cleansing of the blood of Christ or we, um, we, we continue in our sins. And we don't want to do that this morning. We invite you in. Father, you do a great work. Will you do it now? Will you touch hearts? And yeah, it was sad. That last glorious day in Eden. When the sun set for the final moments. And life was forever changed. But we are reminded that on Easter, you did something great. The sun set on Eden, praise God, but the sun rose on Easter morning, praise God. There's a new day, a new age, a new joy, a new opportunity. And Father, we're not just people who need educated. We're not just people who need recolonized and recontextualized. We are rebels who need to lay down our arms. That's who we are. And Father, if there's some here today who want to lay it down, just lay it right down and walk out of here with peace with God. I pray, Father, that you would do your work in these final moments of our time together. In your strong name we pray. Amen. You know, I usually don't do this, but we are at 11.11. Prepare our closing song, if you would. And go ahead and pull that up and get that cranking, if you would. Um,